Welcome to the Further Light Podcast, presented by Wisconsin Freemasonry, helping you accomplish your Masonic goals through education and more light. And now, I present to you, Brother Chris Ludke. Listeners, scholars, brothers, this is Brother Chris Lickie, and today I want to explore part two of the Joshua Glover escape. Now, to recap where we are, what we're looking at is the escape of a fugitive slave by the name of Joshua Glover. He's captured in Racine County in Wisconsin, having made it there from Missouri. He's taken to the Milwaukee County Jail. He's broken out of jail. And then he's moved to Waukesha, where he falls in with a number of Masons who are risking everything, including a man by the name of Winchell Bacon, who's a very well-known businessman at the time, well-known in the Lodge, junior warden of the Lodge in Waukesha at the time. And we see these Masons coming out and ensuring that Glover gets back onto the Underground Railroad in a way that he's not pursued, and no one really knows where he is, at least not at the time. And last time, we left off with the involvement of Winchell Bacon. But today, I want to pick up with someone else. Now, of course, Glover is in Waukesha. He had been at the home of Winchell Bacon, a prominent man and Mason, He's been moved to the Tincher Farm south of town, a couple of miles south of town, uh, probably where Waukesha South roughly is today, if you know about Waukesha. And then we get to another person, a man by the name of C.C. Olin. Now, C.C. Olin is also an active member of the Lodge. He is not an officer of the Lodge, although it is noted at the time that this is happening in February and again in March According to the minutes of Waukesha Lodge, C.C. Olin actually sits in as secretary for a couple of their meetings. This is typically something done by someone who is seen as responsible, educated, capable. This is not the sort of job that you give to, you know, just any new guy or any person coming in. This is a very important job to keep the minutes of the Lodge. And so it gives us an idea of who he is. Now, he will eventually uh, demit from the Lodge a few years later apparently due to financial issues, but that is years in the future. That has not happened yet. He's still a very active member. So, he writes a memoir about what happens. And let me warn you, this is a first-person memoir about his adventure helping Joshua Glover escape from the authorities in Waukesha that are pursuing him and getting him back onto the Underground Railroad. So, it's very possible that things are being laid out in a way that glorify Olin a little bit, but I'll let you be the judge. These are his words. According to Olin, quote, Hence to Racine, in the nighttime, by the way of Rochester, small town near McWanago, by C.C. Olin. At this time of the year, March of 1854, the roads were very muddy and rough, but Mr. Olin, knowing the country pretty well, went directly to Uh, what was at the time called Muskego Center, where he struck the Milwaukee and Janesville Plank Road. Just a brief note there, these plank roads are kind of the equivalent of freeways at the time. They are called plank roads because they're literally planks of wood laid out so that you can uh, 
you know, relatively easily take a cart or something down them, usually horse-drawn. And from there on, they found good sailing. So once he gets them far enough out of Waukesha, things are going pretty well. He had a fleet team, and about three hours from leaving Waukesha, he was before the door of one R.E. Eli at Rochester. Hello, he says. Who comes there? A friend, C.C. Olin from Waukesha, was the reply. So out came Mr. Eli. We knowing him well, he said, well... What has called you here this time of night? I said, I have a precious load. I have a... And please keep in mind, this is written in the 1890s, but I'm still direct quoting. I have a colored man by the name of Joshua Glover, who is assumed to be an American citizen and is fleeing from the grasp of promoters and abettors of the fugitive slave law. They had him arrested only a few days uh, ago in Racine, taken to Milwaukee, and without the least shadow of law put him in the county jail and were determined to return him to slavery under the infamous Fugitive Slave Code. But a few determined men, S.M. Booth being the ringleader, was as determined that these things should not be done. A posse was raised in the city, the jail door was demolished, and the slave taken to Waukesha and is here in my wagon, and by the help of such men as you, sir, I am bound for Racine, where these infamous scoundrels found him at work as a peaceable citizen. Now, sir, I want your team. As you see, mine look a little jaded as we have been only a little over three hours coming from Waukesha. Mr. Eli gives him a team, says yes, and here's $5, roughly the equivalent of $200 at the time, to go with it. Mr. Eli says, is this not glorious that these slave hunters can be thwarted in their vile attempt to send a human being back into human bondage? Mr. Eli got out a team and hitched them to Mr. Olin's wagon. Now, the team change is important because horses can only pull for so long before they start getting exhausted. If it's muddy roads, they're probably exhausted much faster. And as a consequence, you need to change teams. And that's what's happening here. And Olin would have swapped back at some point in the future. In the meantime, we have taken Glover into the Eli house... Uh, and Mr. and Mrs. Eli want to see him, and after a hot cup of tea and lunch, they start into the Underground Railroad, as we had done in Waukesha. We met with no resistance on our way. At about 7 a.m., we deposited Joshua Glover at the house of Reverend M.P. Kinney, a congressional minister there to be protected by the good people of Racine, in this case Racine County, not Racine necessarily city-specific, until some safe means could be provided to send him to Canada. From there, he will move, Joshua Glover will move to Spring Prairie, roughly East Troy area. Uh, So the following text is from a notebook taken from the old uh, Eli house in the village. Uh, Quote, enclosed in a letter from Sherman Booth to uh, Eli in November of 1903. Quote, a ride on the Underground Railroad from Waukesha to Racine of Joshua Glover, a future uh, fugitive slave. Uh, added to that by Mr. Booth, Glover was sent to Racine from Racine to Spring Prairie, Walworth County, and was harbored. So he's sent into Racine and then back out into the countryside near Walworth County and then sent back in. So he's kind of going back and forth in Racine County after Waukesha and was harbored by 
Amongst others, Dr. J.C. Mills, a state senator, Samuel Pratt, an assemblyman from Walworth, after some weeks was put on board an eastbound propeller, uh, eastbound ship, and put off on the Canada side. That's all done through Racine by a steamer, and uh, at the very end of his trip, Glover actually stays in a grain warehouse and escapes on a steamer owned by A.P. Dutton in Racine. So, this is all taking place from the time Glover leaves Milwaukee. He's in Waukesha for probably less than 24 hours. And then he's in Racine County for a couple of weeks, bouncing around. And they have to keep moving him around because people know him. They don't want people, you know, spouting off that they saw their friend, uh, Joshua Glover. So, they're keeping things very, very secret. You still have the U.S. Marshals and... Glover's owners and others looking for him. So it's very, very dangerous. So let's talk about the aftermath. The fugitive slave law will actually be nullified in Wisconsin. So the Wisconsin Supreme Court takes the case because uh, some of these people will be charged under the fugitive slave law and they will actually nullify the law. This is a law nullification happening in a northern slate prior to the Civil War. And yes, it's about slavery. So take that as you will. We also see this reflection of what is the general sentiment in Wisconsin, which tends to be fairly abolitionist. I'd say 2575. There are definitely people who have sympathies for the South, but we see a lot of abolitionist sentiment. Let's look at Masonic involvement, because we don't just have people from Waukesha. There are two brothers, R.W. Rowe and William Utley of Racine 18, who are involved. Early on, when Glover is initially arrested, they will put together a committee and effectively try to raise funds and do all of the necessary things to try and help Glover out, working on the Racine side. Uh, One of them as treasurer, one of them uh, sort of coordinating the efforts. And they will both travel to Milwaukee, arriving by steamer just before we get the escape of Joshua Glover from Milwaukee, from the Milwaukee County Jail. In fact, they were both probably there when it happened. Uh, or it would appear that the committee from Racine is primarily there when it happened. So we have the involvement of these two brothers. They're kind of in the background. It's not as exciting as the guy who runs him out of Waukesha or the guy who, you know, lends this house, his very large house in Waukesha to the effort. But there's still people to be recognized because they're still putting their lives, their livelihoods on the line. If they are surrounded by loyalists, if they have clients, etc., to their businesses that are loyalists, they're going to lose business. And so, again, they're putting their ideals out there. They're saying, look, this is what I believe in and what needs to be done. And I'm not worried about what else is happening because I know this is right. Uh, We see the same thing from C.C. Olin, W.D. Bacon, and E.C. Clinton of Waukesha, who are all involved in the same thing and all face really the same conundrum. Do I help this slave when it could cost me so much? Tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars today in fines, imprisonment, possibly death at the hand of a a southern loyalist, which are out there. We have records of, you know, W.D. Bacon being burned in effigy, both in the South 
and in Waukesha by people who are loyalists. These are huge risks that are being taken. Now, I would argue that they aren't doing this necessarily because they're Masons. I would argue they're doing this because they're already good men. They're good men coming in. However, I would argue that their thoughts, their willingness to follow what they believe has been strengthened by their association, by the lessons of Masonry. Nothing that they do goes against any of the tenets, any of the virtues, any of the teachings that we see within the lodges. In fact, it stands rather uh, remarkably within many of the teachings. The risks that are taken are immense. Yeah, okay, W.D. Bacon, very well-known, very wealthy at the time, well-connected. You could argue his risk is minimal because he knows who's around him and he has money and what's the worst that happens. But if you're C.C. Olin and you don't have all this money and you don't have all the same connections, wouldn't you think that that's a much bigger risk? Or if you're the two brothers from Waukesh, or from Racine, R.W. Rowe or Utley, who are not nearly as well off as, say, uh, the Clinton family from, Wisconsin, from Waukesha. These risks are massive. This is not the story of masonry. This is a story of masons. Of masons standing up for what they believe, putting it all on the line. In this case, coming out successfully, but we're well aware from history there are plenty of times where brothers didn't come along, come out of it well. For example, uh, Muffelman, the Grand Master of one of the Grand Lodges in Germany, going up against the Nazis. He does not come out of that well. Today, historically, we look back and, you know, talk about how remarkable that story is. But let's remember he dies of his injuries. He's not coming out of that well. And that's what's remarkable about some of these stories. It's not about the big narrative. It's about the risks that are being taken. Men who are willing to stand up and be counted. And a lodge, at least in the case of Waukesha, that is absolutely supporting them. Because if they weren't, these brothers would not be coming back. They would not be elected officers. They would not be uh, using connections within the lodge. And as with any history, it's muddy. But that's fine. Because stories that are simple are also oftentimes boring. So, all that's left for me is to say thank you for joining me, Brother Chris Lidke, and the entire Further Light team on your quest to find more light through masonry. Are you interested in learning more about Freemasonry in Wisconsin? Visit wisconsinmasons.org to learn more about masonry and access further educational content and more light. Once again, that address is wimasons.org. Any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at education at wisconsinmasons.org. And thank you for listening.